Women Taking the Lead, episode 184. Make sure that you surround yourself with really, really great people. And we all have what I call an unconscious level of acceptance in terms of what we tolerate from other people. You should have a very high bar regarding what you expect in terms of behavior um, from other people. You know, how much disrespect do you allow, right? I mean, how, how, how much condescension do you allow? If you allow yourself to be, you know, treated in a poor manner, you're setting that bar. So just be very, very aware of the behavior that you allow from others and set a high standard for yourself. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Every child wants to be the hero of their own story. At JulesCustomBooks.com, your child plays the central role in every book, bringing joy and delight when they hear their name and those of their family and friends. Visit JulesCustomBooks.com to make your child the star of the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Marissa Levin, who is the CEO of Successful Culture, and she helps CEOs master the three most critical aspects of business growth, leadership development, strategy formulation and execution, and organizational cultural assessment and improvement. Marissa also helps CEOs build the supporting communities they need to grow, including advisory boards and CEO roundtables. Successful culture ensures organizations have the strongest internal infrastructures and external support systems required to build their greatest organizations and reach their greatest potential. Wow, Marissa, you are up (laughs) to some big work in the world, but that is just a little overview of who you are in the world. So if you could share a little bit more about yourself and your own humble beginnings. So my own humble beginnings. Um, I am um, the youngest of uh, three kids. I have two older brothers age, uh, that are six and eight years older. So I will uh, be turning 50 soon. Um, and I definitely came from humble beginnings. Uh, my my uh, father worked for the federal government for about 35 years at, in NASA uh, until he retired. And he Um, was in a cabinet level position. And he was someone who definitely um, viewed life from a place of service. Um, And he did a lot of mentoring of a lot of the people that were in NASA that um, came up behind him. He was very committed to mentoring others and helping the less fortunate kind of rise um, to their levels of potential within the agency. My mom also was someone that um, lived from a place of service. She was actually a financial controller for one of the largest AIDS and homeless shelters uh, where we lived, which was in Baltimore. So she ran one of the largest shelters in Baltimore City. And so I grew up very much um, in a environment of service to others. So clearly, Marissa, you have come from a background of service and, Mm -hmm. and leadership. So I imagine that you've had a lot of support and nurturing to be to be that person to be a service leader. But if you could, Take us back to a time when you were playing small. We all have those moments in life, no matter how much support we get, no matter how many you know positive messages our parents give us, there's always a point in our life where we, we don't go big. 
right? We, we think yeah. we're capable of only so much and we limit ourselves a little bit. So if you could share us your playing small moment and the lessons you've learned <clears throat> from it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll confess something, Jody. Um, that is, I think for all of us, a continuous process. Like I, you know, I, even where I am today, I mean, I, you know, I, I, um, built one company and left that in 2012. But prior to that, um, it was a 17 year company that under my leadership did $15 million, um, in revenue annually. So I bootstrapped that from basically nothing. And then I left that company and I've started a second company and I've written two books and, you know, I've accomplished all these great things like writing for Inc. Magazine. But I'll tell you, I still have that nagging voice in my head that says, am I really able to achieve my vision? So we all still have it. But getting back to your specific question about when I did play small, um, my company that I worked for, the company that I worked for before I started my first company, I, um, I was an instructional designer and a writer. And when I was there, I worked as kind of like the prodigy to the CEO. And this was before my husband and I had any kids. So I was, you know, working literally around the clock to learn. And I remember going to him, um, wanting to get a raise. And this was after I put myself through graduate school and I knew how much money I was making them. And I created a really, really strong business case to actually justify a salary increase. And he said to me, you'll never be worth more than $34,000 to my company. And I really had kind of like this, you know, um, moment. I mean, it was a, it was a serious inflection period where I thought to myself for a moment, maybe I really will never be worth more than $34,000. But then I thought about something that my mom taught me. And, you know, she said, you never let anyone else determine your value or your determine your worth. And it was really at that point that I decided that I could, add a lot more value to the world than just $34,000 worth. And that's when I just started, I decided to start my first company. Good for you. I can't even imagine somebody being that blunt. Yeah. You know, but on, on the other hand, well, it's kind of good that he was so truthful because it was a choice point. It was, yeah, it was totally a choice point. I mean, I guess I was like 26 years old when that happened. Um, and, you know, I didn't even know what I didn't know at that point. I mean, I hadn't taken any business classes. I was, a, my undergraduate degree was a concentration in English um, with a, 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 it was an undergraduate degree in English with a concentration in Shakespeare. I mean, I had no business background whatsoever, except for what I had learned in my consulting role, but I knew what I didn't want. And I didn't want to live a life that was aligned with the value system that he had. And I wanted to make sure that I was working for someone who valued me. And, and I knew that I would value myself more than he valued me. And that was really kind of like my inspiration for starting my own company. Yeah. And you had some qualities that were much more valuable than a degree in business. I mean, you were a quick learner, you were mm -hmm. adaptable and you were a hard worker. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are qualities like you can't get from a degree. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. I had a really strong work ethic and that was something that I was raised with and, um, I believed in what I was able to do. So, you know, if you've got a strong work ethic, you believe in what you, you know, are doing, those are two of the most important things to be successful. Absolutely. Now, Marissa, if you could share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call. For some people, this is this is like a light bulb moment. And for others, it occurs to them more like a slow dawning or the universe sending them a lot of 
messages over and over again till it finally clicks. But in either case, there's usually a moment where you're ready to take action. So if you could share with us that story leading up to Mm -hmm. that moment and the steps you took that led to your success. Okay. So definitely the first one is what I just shared, you know, that aha moment that I had it within me to be successful and to not be defined by somebody else's value of me. Um, and just starting my first company, like that was a huge, that was a, that was a huge aha moment. And especially given my age at the time, I mean, I think that that is probably a very significant aha moment as we're, you know, at, you know, mid twenties, you're trying to like figure out who you are. Right. So that was definitely a huge aha moment. A second aha moment actually came, um, which, um, really kind of spurred the creation of my second company. So, you know, I built my first company, Information Experts, and I was so committed and so focused on creating an extraordinary culture. And I had achieved that. I mean, Information Experts, when I was running it, had an incredible culture. Um, when the government basically shut us, shut down um, – through sequestration. That's what the whole entire uh, plan was for the government. They literally shut down and it basically um, changed its entire business model and pricing model to move to what was known as lowest priced, technically acceptable. Basically overnight, the government mandated that it was only going to accept the lowest cost vendors, that it didn't matter what your value was, they were only going to go with the lowest price. And we at the time had a lot of contracts that were, you know, we were never a lowest price vendor. We were a high value vendor um, or a partner. You know, we lived like my whole value system was about high value, high impact, high transformation, right? Like that's, that's what our position was in working with the federal government. We were really going in there to use innovation to transform the agencies and to fulfill their missions. And when they went to what was known as the LPTA model, lowest price technically acceptable model, Basically, that completely contradicted my entire core value system for my company. And overnight, we had to slash our rates. So I was paying people, let's just say hypothetically, this is totally hypothetical, I may have paid someone $100 an hour to do work. Overnight, I I was told that I had to basically pay them $50 an hour. Okay, And this on top of sequestration, where basically the government shut down, but still required us to perform what they considered to be essential tasks. So I had to have full time billable people on work, but the government wasn't paying me for that work. After these things happened, it really kind of decimated my culture. And um, I just decided that I did not align with the core values of the government anymore, and I could no longer run a government contracting company. And I had spent, I had poured my life into building this company, you know, I mean, literally more than 15 years to build an extraordinary culture. And overnight, my customer basically decimated it. And rather than conform to who they were and what their value system was, I decided I had to leave my own company. And so I I left my own company five years ago because I just decided if I didn't believe in the core value system of my company, I was no longer the one to run it. And Jody, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a cancer survivor. So I had melanoma seven years ago. I had a brush, um, I had a breast cancer scare six years ago. So twice in my life, I've been told you have cancer, you're going to need chemotherapy. Like I went down that road and thank God, you know, everything was fine. We got the melanoma very early 
and we got the breast cancer scare very early. Um, so I never needed any further treatment. But when you hear those words, you develop a very healthy respect for mortality. And I just made a decision that, um, I want to live life every day from a place of joy and meaning. And I understand, as everyone does, that there's a lot of stress that goes along with work and business, building a business and entrepreneurship. But that's different than misery, right? Like stress is different than misery. And so I just made that decision with my company when the government kind of like put us through, you know, put it put us through all of that, that. Uh, my life was just worth too much to um, be subjected to their value system. And so I walked away and I started a second company and I, I resigned and I transferred everything to the leadership team that was there. Good for you, Marissa. I mean, those types of scares, they suck, <laughs> but the benefit of going through that, and, and I'm glad they were just a scare and that you're well, but they help us get our priorities in order they do. And, and put our head on straight. And we start to appreciate what's important and what's not important. And, it, you know, having had that experience when this was all happening, you were able to recognize that the environment you were in no longer worked for you. And I, you know, I talk to the women in my community about that all the time, how, you know, you can be in a certain company or a certain situation and it totally works for you and it supports you and it helps you grow. And then it gets to a point where it's not anymore. And you have to recognize that and you have to be ready to move on when it no longer supports you. And sometimes there is nothing wrong that happens. It's just you've grown beyond it or your values are no longer represented there, just like in your scenario. But you hear too many people who stay in those situations and suffer through it. And there it absolutely is a difference between stress and misery. You know, I was just um, mentioning a few episodes ago, I had Millie Welsh on and we kind of, you know, joked a little bit about first world problems, right? Because that's, that's what they are, you know, and to recognize when nobody's going to die, nobody's getting hurt, right? Let's put this in perspective. Let's recognize the benefits we have. Stress is not the same as being in a miserable situation. You were in a miserable situation and you got yourself out of it. You know what? Psychologically, it was devastating. Yeah. I mean, it really was, you know, I grew this amazing company and I was able to really focus on work-life balance and work-life integration and do meaningful work and, and reinvest in my employees. And it just, it's just the way the whole government kind of just decimated my culture. It, it was psychologically devastating, and I just had to pull myself out of it. Um, the average CEO uh, spends uh, seven years in that position before moving on, and I only, um, you know, I did it 13 years, right? So I almost did it twice as long. And one of the things that I write about a lot and that I, I help my clients go through as they have to evaluate whether or not they have the right people in the right seats is the Peter principle, which is basically um, when someone in your organization rises to their highest level of incompetence. So we have people that are with us and either out of loyalty or just out of you know natural progression, we promote people up and up and up to the point where they get into a position where they don't even have the competencies and the skills to be successful in the position we've put them in. And the Peter principle can apply to the C-suite. But most CEOs and most business owners have a really difficult time stepping out of their role enough to look inside and say, you know what, I may not be the best person for this company anymore. And that's basically what I did, you know, because I don't live or lead from a place of ego. Um, and so I, I don't. 
I don't equate my whole entire identity with my brand or with my company. I view that as just one element of my own, you know, identity. So when I was able to step away from information experts, because I knew that in the totality of my life, it was just one aspect. Mm -hmm. And that's the mark of a highly conscious leader, Marissa. So I'm really appreciating this and honoring your choice. And this is a great segue into my next question, which is your leadership style. We all have different personalities. We all have different strengths and weaknesses and background experiences that all blend together and create the the type of leader that, that we become or we exude and present ourselves to people. So Marissa, how would you describe your leadership style? So a few things. First of all, I'm definitely a servant leader. You know, I believe that my role in an organization, like when, you know, when I had, when I had dozens of employees, I really believe that my role in that organization was to do whatever I could do to support them and their success. So whether it was something as trivial as, do you need paper, right? right? Like, do you have, do you have the right supplies to actually do your work to something of more significance of what is the career path that we're laying out before you, right? So really coming at it from a place of service. That's, that's, um, the first thing. The second thing is, um, one of my closest mentors and friends who I respect immensely taught me, and it's probably something I knew subconsciously, but he just put it in such an elegant way, eloquent way. Um, the best leaders always subjugate their own agenda for the higher good of the organization. So I'm always trying to like keep myself in check, not only with successful culture, but actually with my clients, because I work with so many CEOs, right? And I always want to make sure that I'm showing up in our engagements from a place of, am I the best solution for my client, as opposed to, well, I really need the work, right? And I, you know, I want to make sure that I have the revenue or whatever it is. I make sure that my ego is always subjugated when I'm working with my clients. And I want to make sure that I am always, I always have their best interests at heart. So I definitely lead from a place of supreme service for whoever works with me, um, as well as for who I work for, which would be my clients, making sure that I am always addressing um, the need of the relationship, not putting myself first. So I think that's one way in which I lead. I definitely lead from a place of core values. I lead from a place of culture. You know, I, I've done so much work on culture and I know that I'm out there known kind of like as a culture expert, Tony Robbins, um, their podcast had me on for an hour talking about organizational culture. And one of the things that I shared was every organization has a culture. It's either by intention or, um, or, or by default. And I definitely lead from a place of knowing that, you know, culture is what drives an organization. It's the heartbeat. It's the DNA. It's the fingerprint of an organization. So establishing an emotionally safe place, a place where people can stretch themselves, um, but know that it's safe to do so, a place where they can take risks, but that's also countered by a, a level of accountability and, and ownership for what they're deciding to do. I'm very focused on creating highly intentional cultures as well. I love that. And I love how you, you talked about culture and how we're either creating it by intention or default, mm -hmm. because that's absolutely true. And I see it everywhere. I'm constantly talking about um, culture, culture, yeah. culture. I could like, we could like sip coffee and talk about that for hours. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that is amazing. But I know the leaders that are in tune with the culture and the culture that they're creating tend to get the results that they're looking for because they make sure that their goals are represented and supported by the culture. Right. 
Awesome. For sure. Yeah. And Marissa, what's one thing you're working on right now that you're <laughs> really excited about and want to share with us? Oh gosh, can I, I mean, I've got a couple things going on. <laughs> All um, right, we'll make an exception. You can have that too. <laughs> so one of my books out is called Built to Scale, How Top Companies Create Breakthrough Growth Through Exceptional Advisory Boards. And that book, my model, Scale, is the only model out there um, on that teaches CEOs and leads them through the process to build high-performing advisory boards. And so I do go into organizations. I mean, they can get my book and all the templates and the model is in there, but CEOs like to have help in order to implement what they what their vision is and i work with ceos and organizations to help them you know determine what they need around their advisory board table who they need how to implement how to communicate it to the rest of the organization how to leverage their board how to compensate them all of it i work with ceos um, to actually help them implement their advisory boards and we have an initiative now in our company. I've just actually brought on an associate who is also an advisory board expert. And um, we have an initiative now that we're really, really going to be going hard in terms of connecting with CEOs um, and organizations that are looking to build advisory boards. And we're going to be expanding that part of our practice. Um, and then another thing is I'm a professionally trained facilitator. So for CEO roundtables, I am the regional chair for Women's Presidents Organization, and I chair um, CEO roundtables of women um, monthly, but I am so passionate about this that in um, 2017, I'm launching additional CEO roundtables that are very specific in very niche markets, which I'll talk about when I launch them, but I'm launching those. And then I'm also working on my third um, book, um, which is called Millionaire Mindset. So I'm hoping to get that out by the end of the year. So those are kind of like the three things that are keeping me busy when I'm not working with my clients and when <laughs> I'm not taking care of my kids. <laughs> There's always something to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And Marissa, on the flip side of things, what would you say is your biggest leadership or business challenge that you're faced with right now? Because you and I know new level, new devil, where we've always have room to grow and develop. And so there's always another challenge on the horizon, but they're good. But I'm curious what you're faced with right now. I think the thing that I'm faced with most is um, I have a tremendous vision for successful culture. I mean, it's big, you know, between doing all of the leadership development work and my model under that, the strategy execution, as well as the organizational culture work, um, and then building the communities around my CEO clients, both with advisory boards and peer-to-peer roundtables. I've got that vision. Um, I have a full online academy that I want to be developing in conjunction to support that type of work. And then I also have some ideas for my success store of products I want to roll out. So I've got this huge vision and my biggest challenge is how am I going to get it all executed? <laughs> I love that. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's that. I'm often faced with the challenge of a big vision as well. And, you know, it can be so overwhelming and I can do the whole paralysis by analysis type thing. And then I bring myself back down and baby steps. What's yeah, the first for sure. thing I need to do? Awesome. So Marissa, with that big vision and with everything that you have going on, like, you know, a lot of times my listeners will reach out to me and, and you know, women like you come on the show and they're like, how does she do it? I feel so <laughs> incapable, you know, like this, it's blowing my mind that, that she's able to do all of these things. And what people, you know, don't realize is there's always a support system behind a very successful woman or a man. So if you could tell us a little bit about the people you have around you that support you to do what you do? 
Okay, so obviously, you know, given that I'm a professional trained facilitator and I write about advisory boards, obviously, I believe that our communities around us are our lifelines. So um, I have an entire dedicated team of advisors um, that I that I have a few of them that I just don't make a move without. I call them all the time and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Can you look over this? I mean, I definitely rely heavily on my advisors. I have a mastermind group that meets quarterly and we meet for eight hours once a quarter where we bring our specific business challenges to the table and um, we mastermind those. So that's super, super helpful. I'm also a member of Entrepreneurs Organization and I'm in an EO forum. So that's with another six um, business owners and we meet once monthly for four hours. Um, and then I'm in... Um, I, I am in another group in the D.C. region called Cadre, and that gives really great support, both professional support and emotional support. And I have to say that my girlfriends are my lifelines. I mean, I've got a couple um, inner circles of girlfriends from different parts of my life, and I spend a lot of – I invest. I invest a lot of time in those relationships because I just wouldn't be anywhere without them. So I put a lot of effort into the people around me, um, not only – for like sound professional advice, but a lot of it is for emotional and moral support to keep me going. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And yeah. now, now Marissa, I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Oh, I'm a voracious um, learner. So I take, I can, I am very, very intentional about the content that I consume. So, um, I, when I'm in the car, I am constantly podcasting, right? I'm listening to podcasts where I can learn a lot. I read a lot. I listen to books a lot. I watch a lot of TED Talks. I just, I'm constantly um, a sponge, you know, just trying to learn from other people on what they've done right and what they've done wrong. And I, and I surround myself with really, really good people. So I'm just very intentional about the content that's coming into me and who I'm around. And I like, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time like scanning the Facebook feeds. I don't, you know, I don't watch TV a lot at all. Um, I don't scan CNN. I just, I really am very cognizant about the types of information that like comes into my psyche. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Oh, wow. To, um, one book to develop her leadership. Well, you know what? It's not necessarily, I mean, obviously this is a woman's podcast, but I, I think that the best book for anybody to read is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I know that's more of like a spiritual book, but I don't really separate the two um, from like spiritual, strategic, higher purpose, you know, that whole thing. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz are four agreements that we make with ourselves in how we show up in the world and how we engage with others. And um, agreements have to do, you know, with like be impeccable with your word. What are the messages that we're not only telling others, but what we're telling ourselves? Um, don't take anything personally. Knowing that the way other people treat you is truly a reflection of them. It's not a reflection of you. Um, don't make assumptions. How can you come to conversations, experiences, people, events with truly a blank slate without bringing judgment into it? And then always do your best, knowing that your best is going to vary from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, month to month, making sure that you're not judging yourself when you're really giving full effort. So The Four Agreements is a very, very profound book that will really you know, change the life of anybody who reads it because it changes how they show up in the world and how they feel about themselves.
Amen. I'm backing you up on that. That I constantly am saying that book changed my life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for any, sure. If anyone's listening and you have not read the Four Agreements yet, you must find it yeah. and read it. I <laughs> love it. And Marissa, what advice would you give your younger self? Um. Well, from a business perspective, uh, f- uh, fire faster. <laughs> like that's just from the from like the pure like sheer business perspective, like, you know, hire slow, fire fast. When you've got someone who's not working out, cut your losses. Like, you know, instead of like keeping the wound open and like literally like having it like drain you, just, you know, cut, cut your losses, wrap the wound and move forward. Um, but as far as like, just in general life, I probably, um, would say, make sure that you surround yourself with really, really great people. And we all have what I call an unconscious level of acceptance in terms of what we tolerate from other people. You should have a very high bar regarding what you expect in terms of behavior um, from other people. You know, how much disrespect do you allow, right? I mean, how, how, how much condescension do you allow? If you allow yourself to be, you know, treated in a poor manner, you're setting that bar. So just be very, very aware of the behavior that you allow from others and set a high standard for yourself. Marissa, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Um, let's see. Well, I mean, again, kind of like getting back to the spiritual side. So um, I basically, the two that I live by are um, Be the Change You Wish to See in the World, by uh, by Gandhi, and then also Buddha, the trouble is you think you have time. So I kind of remember those all the time. Um, you know, rather than complain about what's happening in the world, what are we doing personally on a daily basis to be the change that we wish to see in the world? How are we treating other people? You know, what is our level of acceptance for other people? What our level of tolerance? Are we judging other people? Just be the change that you wish to see in the world. If we can all be that change, then the world will change. And then the second one from Buddha, the trouble is you think you have time. I truly live life from a place of urgency. Um, and I do that because none of us really know how much time we have. And I think too many people spend it in a negative mindset. And I'm really, really conscious of living from a place of gratitude and knowing that I alone am responsible for my outcomes. And lastly, Marissa, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Uh, so that my website is great and I have a blog that I publish, a leadership and organizational culture blog. It's a lot of mindset work. It really is um, a mindset blog as much as anything else. And that comes out on Fridays and they can get to me at www.successfulculture.com. They can sign up there. Um, also there uh, are all my ink articles. So definitely follow me on ink. You can Google my name, Marissa Levin uh, on ink and please connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I connect with everybody. I mean, I am not one of those people that like keeps my network small. I want to be, I believe we're all connected anyway. So connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter at Marissa Levin, uh, Facebook. I have a successful culture page and I'm on Instagram at Marissa Levin one. So I'm pretty much on all of the different platforms and I love to engage with like-minded people.
Awesome. And for those of you listening, you know you can find all the links and resources that Marissa shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And I also want to, you know, reinforce what Marissa said. Uh, I recently was on a Skype call with somebody who was listening to this podcast, reached out to me. We found an opportunity to get on Skype for a little while, and she said it blew her away that I did that. And I, I said to her, I'm constantly saying, reach out to me. Give feedback. I love engaging with you guys. And she's like, I know, but I really didn't believe it. (laughs) So, you know, nobody out there says, please connect with me if they're too busy and they don't want to connect with people. Like when we say it, we mean it. If you want to, you know, connect with us, definitely do so. And Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to share and thank you, Jody, for creating this platform so that um, so many women can be connected and benefit from it. So gratitude to you. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me and here's to your success.